The United States have, have gave me so many opportunities, opportunities that I have imagined and dreamed about in Gaza. Many people here, Jewish, Muslim, uh, Christian, and now even beyond Israel and Palestine, many people from so many other backgrounds impacted my life and made sure that I was able to continue in whatever possible way they, they, they had available. My guest on today's episode of The Alien Chronicles is Yusuf Bashir, the author of the memoir, The Words of My Father. Yusuf's story is one that showcases the inherent complexities of what it means to be a Palestinian, particularly one who grew up in Gaza. From a young age, he was brought face to face with the harsh realities of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and that experience has very much informed the work that he does today. In an op-ed he wrote in the New York Times this spring, Yusuf says that his father taught him that seeking peace is not only a prayer, but an obligation. As an adult, Yusuf works every day to fulfill this obligation, whether that is through his work on Capitol Hill or as a member of the Palestinian diplomatic delegation to the United States. I personally admire Yusuf for the way in which he has been able to learn from the adversities that he has faced in his life. His experiences have fueled his active pursuit of peace in the Middle East today. But Yusuf can tell his story far better than I can. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to my show, Yusuf. So good to have you here. Thank you for having me. So we'll start in 2000 when you were 11. IDF forces in Gaza took over your family home and turned it into a military post. And you talk about this in your book. But before we get into ways in which that changed your life, can you talk about what was your life prior to that moment? It was a peaceful life, a promising life. I grew up on a farm, a big farm. Uh, My family, my father his father and all of my grandfathers came from that farm, from nowhere else but that farm. And uh, I remember being, me calling it paradise, where I could not have to go very far in order to find something to eat or a place to play at and just uh, be able to scrutinize uh, the universe as I write in the book. Of course, there was an Israeli settlement there, but at that age and during uh, between 1995 and until 2000, they were not firing uh, at Palestinians. And in fact, I remember them even patrolling, doing security patrols with Palestinian forces. But all of that would change, of course, when I turned 11 in fall of 2000. So what, what were Israeli-Palestinian relations in your neighborhood like, um, like in that region at the time? At the time, uh, although... Uh, it was still the era of the Oslo Accords. Uh, if you talk about my neighborhood, they're, they're, they were soldiers. So at the end of the day, no matter you, how you look at it, they were an army there illegally. And so that access or that interaction that you would expect between two different peoples was, not, was very absent because of that. The settlers had their own bridge to go to their own synagogue. They were, um, you know... A, a very secure wall around them. I mean, there were no clashes during those days, but 
the separation was still very much uh, there. And uh, in 2000, of course, the guns that didn't fire before uh, came to life. So let's talk about that. Um, can you talk about the experience of having the IDF um, in your house? What was the broader context that motivated that particular occupation? My house was the closest one to the, to the military base. And the military base was right behind our kitchen. And at the same time, it was the highest house in the neighborhood. You could see all the way to the sea, uh, overlook the entire neighborhood and overlook the military base. But nevertheless, the soldiers uh, knew where, who we are, where we came from, and that we existed in that house for, for a very long time, longer than they have. They started shooting at the house without any cause, and they ended up taking over the house once they learned that my father was not going to uh, evacuate the house. Uh, so they took over the second floor, third floor, and from the fall of 2000 until the summer of 2005, they controlled the house, and with that, they controlled our daily lives. And Yusuf, you were not even a teenager when, when this started, right? So did you immediately understand what was happening? What, how difficult was it for you to uh, fathom this, this whole experience or what, what was going on around you? I talk about that in the book that I, for very briefly, I, was, I remember being excited whenever I saw, I saw soldiers. Because I saw the guns and the, the pistols and the things I would see in American movies all of a sudden just right there and, and, and before my eyes. But that didn't last very long because this was way more exciting in a terrifying way than any movie I've ever seen. Uh, when they uh, started harassing and shooting at the house, knowing that they might kill us and uh, having to ask them for a permit to go to the bathroom and the kitchen and arrange our lives with them, that became unbearable. And uh, it uh, was a great confusion for me because my father was committed to ensuring that we do not allow their actions to determine what kind of human beings we are going to be. And at the same time, I uh, was uh, struggling with that. So the soldiers, they are no longer just soldiers. They are violent. They are, they are. And my father and his commitment to ensuring that they don't define our lives. How did that change your relationship with your father? It fueled uh, a fulfilling and a, a lasting relationship between two human beings because those five years would prove to be of great value uh, between me and my father. I watched him be uh, a teacher and a headmaster, a son, a husband, and a, and a father, and a friend as well to uh, many people. So he, I appreciated so much about him to begin with, but when the soldiers came into the relationship, when they moved into the house, I saw a new side of him that I struggled with because he wanted to treat them the way he would treat any human being that already existed in his life, which I've seen him do uh, do that beautifully and passionately. Then now I'm seeing him deal with another type of people that aren't there with coffee or sugar for gifts uh, on holidays. They're there because they wanted to be there and because they had a lot of guns on them. Uh, and he just didn't want to let that get in the way because he thought that if he does that and gives into the cycle of violence and argument and who's right and who's wrong, 
if uh, he will end up losing his home and uh, his uh, livelihood. Something he was very proud of as a Palestinian and something he learned over the years that he was going to do whatever he can in order to make sure that he doesn't have to leave his home. And, and then things took an ugly turn. When you were 15, you were shot in the back. Can you tell me what happened then? What was the context? And what was your father's reaction at that time? Things took an, an even earlier turn in 2002 when they shot at my dad's bedroom and nearly killed him. And that was my first time to, despite all the drama between me and him, I battled with the concept of losing him. And that life was just unimaginable for me. And I wondered about that thought. And then fast forward two years later, it just shifts. Instead of this time, it's him looking at me being uh, injured. And that day, I was shot for no reason. I went into my house a week after my 15th birthday, and I complained to my mother as a regular teenager that leftovers, I hate my life, all of that. And I decided to go before the curfew to town and get my favorite food. Instead, I decided to join in a conversation with three Americans, uh, three United Nations officers who just got their permit to go into the house for a visitation and only be in the front yard where the soldiers could see them. So the entire conversation is happening in front of the soldiers at the tower. And there I go, I sit down, and after a couple of minutes, the soldier asked them to leave. And so they do just that. They get up, walk back to the car, and as I wave bye to them, one of them shoots me in the back. One sound, one bullet, one shot. For no reason. And that, for no reason. Uh, aside, maybe they didn't, I had a AC Rome, AS Rome uh, soccer t-shirt on. Maybe he wasn't <laughs> a fan. Um, I, I don't know. But this is the question I've been uh, asking. And this, is, would, this question would lead on me to think of many ways on how I can lead a, a productive life ever since that moment. And then you, you get shot and then you are treated by Israeli doctors at an Israeli hospital. Was this confusing for you, especially given how young you were and what had just happened and you were basically shot by Israeli forces? By then, uh, it was, I was uh, in, a, in, a, in an ocean of confusion. Uh, so many ideas and so many thoughts and so many concepts and so much is happening for an 11 year old, 12 year old, a 13, 14. And here I am, I'm used to, it looks like the soldiers, this is what they do. This is the state of Israel. My first interaction with the Israeli people was through the settlers and the soldiers. The settlers were not never friendly and the, the soldiers not only never friendly, but they end up nearly killing my life and uh, hurting my family. Now, I am surrounded by Israeli doctors and nurses. And for the very first time, I see that a new side of them that I haven't seen before. My father tried to describe it to me, but it never translated because of the presence of the soldiers uh, and their actions in my house. Now I am paralyzed and they are asking me out of 10, what's your, uh, which number describes your pain? Which smiley face describes the level of your pain? They are feeding me, they are showering me, they are fixing me up. And it was um, 
uh, every time it was an overwhelming experience because the obvious question is, or the obvious idea is, they are the enemy. But it's at the same time, she's stitching me up and doing it and telling me about her life. And I think I came to appreciate that uh, experience the day I was told that I could walk again. Uh, and uh, that's what eventually happened. And so when I was able to go through that, I connected in a great way with my father, my religion, my faith, my background, because in the end, anyone from the Holy Land, they are going to do uh, whatever they can do in order to sustain and give the idea of peace and coexistence, true coexistence in the Holy Land, yet another chance. Hmm. And Yusuf, you talk in your book about a nurse who was uh, Iraqi. Sima. Can you talk a little bit about your interaction with her? Those interactions were the ones that were the ones that were just human. There was uh, we weren't uh, Jews or Muslims or Palestinians and Israelis and armies and occupation. None of that. They were just genuine conversations, and I tried to put a light on that because. Those normal conversations that we anyone would have, you might have with someone on the train or someone, you know, when you go get your ID at uh, uh, RMV or City Hall or whatever, you end up having a genuine conversation with someone that has nothing to do with the surroundings. And Sima was someone that I was able to set aside my pain and my condition, my country, my house being occupied during my time at the hospital by the soldiers. Uh, and everything that was going on, which was extremely saddening and disappointing. Uh, and here I am talking and learning about Sima's life and where she came and what she did and what she's uh, trying to do in order to put her to her kids in college. Uh, and that really resonated with me because at the end of the day, this is what my people are trying to do and this is what everyone in my neighborhood wants to do and every kid and every friend we all want to go to college and graduate and go to high school and all of that. Uh, and she was just able to connect with me in Arabic as well. Uh, and she just made me feel uh, very comfortable and welcome to the hospital. Before you were shot at, you looked at Israelis as your enemy. Um, and you resented them because they had taken over your house. And then after you get shot, you are treated by Israeli doctors and you're taken care of by Israeli nurse. So that adds nuance to your experience and your view of Israelis. Can you talk a little bit about that, that nuance and nuanced view and how it changed your overall perception of Israelis? I remember when I was a child, my father telling us about the sons of Abraham and telling us uh, even one of the very first ideas as uh, when the word, the term Yehud comes up and it's, you know, the Jewish people. And I ask, who are the Jewish people? And my father says they are our cousins. At very early on in my life that I was introduced to the idea of the children of Abraham, I was just too young. Uh, not in a place where I could comprehend. Their actions near my house and inside my house and against my family made it impossible to see any good uh, or see the ideal children of Abraham uh, come to, to reality. Uh, so I was introduced. When I grew up in life, I didn't think of them as enemies. They decided to become my enemies when they started to shoot at my house for no reason. Uh, now, Regardless of that, uh, and despite that, 
I was, I believe that I was privileged enough to still see a good side of them because of the goodness of my dad and the, I think, the care of, of, of God that wanted me to lead a life of peace and tolerance and understanding because my dad says this is who we are as Palestinians. Occupation of your home ended when you were about, what, 16? Uh, where did your life go after that? Like, did you know what you wanted to do with your life already or did it take some self-discovery? Uh, a little bit. It's an interesting question because the self-discovery, since I was shot, I was, for the very first time, I decided to now think for myself. My dad told me everything's going to be okay, but I almost got killed. I saw the soldiers. I saw the hospital. I mean, I still love him. I, but I, I, and I, I want to become a part of his message also. But because I, one of the very first things I had to do in my life was to learn how to walk again. And since then, I knew that I would always make my own decisions and I always wanted to do things on my own. Uh, and, and still impress my father, my mom, my family, my people, and everyone in the world. And so I, I was always on, uh, in pursuit of something that I could achieve uh, since, since then. Did it take self-discovery? I think it took a lot of uh, prayer and hard work and hope. And I had to think 10 years in advance since that day, since the, the day I got shot and the day I was able to walk again. I was always uh, thinking, it's just, uh, it's a lasting experience that makes you, that made me grow up instantly. And that uh, made a huge difference in my life because it made me see opportunities and it made me go out there and try to do things that I thought I could be good at. And Yusuf, you ended up getting a graduate degree in conflict and coexistence, right? How did your own experience living in a conflict zone affect your studies? And by the way, how did you end up in the U.S.? I ended up in the U.S. It's uh, uh, everything that I just said now uh, led me to the U.S. Uh, everything that I, the, the, the idea of thinking ahead and all of that. I went back to Gaza after the hospital and the soldiers were there. And yes, brief, they would end up leaving. I got to go to a Quaker school. I got to live in the West Bank. I saw for the first time what's it like for my fellow Palestinians in the West Bank to live under occupation, checkpoints here and there. But so I, I, I got it all now. I saw the Israeli side. I saw the soldiers. I saw the West Bank. And I, I know Gaza. And uh, I, am, I want nothing but peace and understanding. And yet uh, things don't seem to be uh, moving in, in the right direction. And uh, I believe that I needed to go to the United States, uh, enticed by the trip I did just previous summer ago to the uh, Seeds of Peace International Camp, where they bring Israeli teens, Palestinians, Egyptians, Jordanians, uh, and from Southeast Asia, uh, Afghanistan, India, Pakistan, and wherever there is a conflict, they bring the future generations to that camp. And since then, I was introduced to the, the U.S. My brothers got and ended up going to Germany, and my family, you go to Germany. But because of that experience, I wanted to go to the U.S. And of course, that in itself was, uh, was a whole other journey uh, that involved me 
almost uh, thinking that I was hallucinating. Uh, I mean, I was dreaming about it so much uh, that I didn't uh, stop bothering my teachers, my dad, my parents, my college counselor, and spending internet hours at the cafes uh, looking for schools and uh, writing essays and all of that. Till it happened, one school in Utah called Wasatch Academy, Presbyterian private school that existed since 1875. And uh, I went back to Gaza and I, you know, took a miracle to get my dad to approve. And uh, I was able to leave through Egypt. I landed in uh, Georgia and then on to Salt Lake City. Uh, so you did your bachelor's and master's both in the U.S.? Yes. Oh, wow. So now coming to present day, what what's happening right now, what is your vision of peace in the Middle East, particularly with regards to Israeli-Palestinian conflict and what you've been through, what you've seen? What is your vision? What do you hope? My hope as someone who's from there, I mean, there, I have nine names in my name. My, my people come from nowhere, literally, literally from nowhere, but from the land that I owe today along with my siblings. And uh, I know that as a Palestinian, it is only natural for me to believe in peace, to believe in my human and my fellow humans, uh, to uh, always uh, try to be a good Muslim, a good Arab. I mean, this is this is our my faith. The whole concept of Ramadan and uh, neighbors and uh, take, uh, be nice to your seventh neighbor, not just the neighbor next to you, but the one that even all the way at the end of the block. And I know I came to learn that my fellow friends from Israel and my, my Jewish friends in general have very similar and compassionate and deep uh, uh, values that I also, my people taught me to have and carry on with me. So that is very basic. And for me, uh, it makes me believe that it isn't the, conf- or the conflict or the struggle that's going on, has been going on. It isn't because of the people, it's because of the leaders, whether we like them or not. Uh, on uh, any given issue, the truth is neither of them have been able to uh, fulfill and stand up to the occasion and uh, make things happen. Of course, I believe it happened, it went even worse for my people over the years, especially over the last 10 years. But nevertheless, it doesn't deviate me from knowing that ultimately my people will be able to live in peace side by side, Israel, their neighbors, Egypt, Jordan, everyone, and become uh, an active part of the international community because they are incredibly capable, incredibly talented, and incredibly passionate about life. I've seen my people go through so much, and despite everything, they are still very much there, and they are still very much alive. And I'm very uh, grateful for that. So I want uh, to see Palestinians be able to live their lives peacefully, be able to prosper, have a good economy, not have to worry about electricity, not having to worry, and instead worry about how to be more creative and more innovative, just like everyone else, especially just like our Israeli neighbors get to do, because my people are still continuously living under harsh conditions, and at the same time, they are still be expected to uh, act as an actual functioning state and go there and do this and do that. So I just envision uh, anything that I envision has to be based on true respect and true uh, uh, understanding 
of my people and, of course, vice versa. The point that you bring up is so important because you're talking about peaceful coexistence with Israelis. And, and you've mentioned it so many times that you want to live peacefully with your Israeli neighbors, which is an extremely important point because sometimes people talk about this conflict and this tension between Palestinians and Israelis and that somehow Palestinians want Israelis to go away somewhere, which is not true, which what you're saying is that, um, and from uh, what I've read and I've spoken to Palestinians, they have accepted Israel's existence in that region. So they want to live in coexistence with Israelis, correct? Absolutely. And and, and uh, this has been done uh, more than once, uh, whether they, uh, regardless of how they view my leaders, to me as a Palestinian, my leaders uh, accepted Israel a long time ago, consider, considering that there isn't, nothing has really changed. And there's no, you know, any like uh, uh, connections or communications that like we're seeing today and uh, some uh, parts of the Middle East between Israel and other uh, Arab countries. Yusuf, what are your thoughts on current administration's handling of the conflict? And we know that U.S. is an important stakeholder, um, um, one of like major brokers in in this. Uh, what are what is U.S. not or what are what are the stakeholders not getting or understanding about this conflict? And you wish they did. Where to begin? In just one year, after thirty years of hard work of of rallying for a two-state, West Bank, Gaza, prosperity, peace, Jerusalem, no occupation, no prisoners, peace and safety for, for all. And uh, in one year, uh, one man decides to cut aid to a lot of Palestinians, who not, most of whom are not even in the government that he disagrees with, uh, women, cancer treatment, uh, even programs that work on peace and dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians were cut. Uh, and so, and at the same time, apparently I'm proposing a peace plan. You, do, you, do you see how it doesn't, how that might not translate to a human being? So that's the case for a lot of Palestinians. You are saying, I'm going to make peace and bring you a good economy. But just last year, you slashed funds for things that have nothing to do with the political dispute that has been going on. Talking about dignity and respect to, pal- to many Palestinians, that means that you are just, uh, I, am, I am an object in this. I could use, be used for political reasons, for election promises, to be all of that. And uh, we have seen the results when people do that. We have seen how our lives always became more complicated and more uh, difficult. And Yusuf, you've been very active politically. You worked for a number of elected officials, including Bernie Sanders, um, my favorite, by the way. And you worked with so many groups within Congress. Looking ahead to, to 2020 elections, are there any candidates that you're particularly excited about when it comes to uh, Middle Eastern foreign policy, especially, again, with regards to Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Uh, it's hard to understand, answer that because I, I, I haven't heard much from the candidates when it comes uh, to foreign policy. I haven't heard debate about Gaza, Palestine, Israel. I, I haven't heard anything, so it's hard to answer that. Overall, it's been very exciting to see 
that so many people are um, concerned and wanted to uh, come out and express their opinions, which led to uh, us having so many candidates contest. So who, who are some of the groups or individuals within the government or in Congress that have been receptive to your work so far? Uh, I like to think that everyone has been receptive to my work. I tried, I, I, I always followed the mantra where I, I told myself I need, I need to be where I am not expected to be. This whole Congress happened by, I walked in, I was doing an event there and I was introduced to Congress for the first time just about three years ago. And I thought, I, this is the place that sanctions so many things uh, and imposes so many things uh, towards uh, my people on many occasions in a very controversial way. Uh, and so naturally, that's where I needed to be in order to share, be able to share my voice, my opinion, my story uh, at the decision, at the table where at the conversation, important conversations are being conducted. Then uh, 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 how talking about the, uh, uh, moving forward to hopefully educate people on how to talk about my people and what they are missing. Uh, and I found that there are a lot of a lot of things are missing, and I was able to uh, do my very small part in introducing a new side, a, a new true side of the Palestinians. It, how, how did you do that? Through uh, going around to speak on college campuses, I like to speak uh, before people who, not only before people who already agree, and I want definitely like uh, support peace, but I also want to groups that not particularly, especially to a Palestinian living in Gaza, are not really viewed as uh, good actors and good players, like uh, APAC, a group that promotes uh, Israeli-American uh, bilateralship, which is fine to many Americans, but to many Palestinians, they promote uh, a lot of problems for the Palestinians. The aid, shutting of the uh, PLO office, a lot of uh, speeches, a lot of Congress people who will come out and speak in favor of Israel, which is fine, but that means that they always have to speak strongly against Palestinians, and th- there's no reason for that. Now I was able to see that being living in the U.S. And so I believe that my message is just as important to the people who support me. It's just as important to be shared with the people who don't support me because that is what it takes in order to move this conversation forward. So what have your interactions with APAC been like? I I am very interested in knowing that. Uh, uh, Respectful. Uh, We, of course, a lot of disagreements respectful. I think, uh, um, you know, in the Quran, uh, there's a passage uh, where God said, I could have made you into one nation and one tribe, but instead I've made you into many nations and many tribes uh, so that you get to know one another. They are incredibly, at times, uh, they can be harsh and uh, not willing to understand my point of view, but many more and more times uh, they are uh, able to express themselves and they uh, share where they come from, where, where they believe, why they believe that way. Uh, and uh, you just have to listen whether you like it or not uh, in order to be able to be given a chance to participate and talk and express yourself. And, and on most occasions and most interactions, they are challenged by my story, by my opinion and my, my value. And they are reminded that they are not the only ones uh, who are trying to live a peaceful, secure, and safe life. And that's very important. 
That, that's a great point, Yusuf. And um, so given all that, that's been that's happened to you your experience you come from um uh, a conflict zone you've you've lived in us you are a peace builder and and you're trying to bring peace between palestinians and israelis and then obviously we we recognize the role of america in all of this as well so given all of that if you were to describe america how how would you describe it uh for the last 10 years i was unable uh to go home the last time i saw my father uh was when he dropped me at the border to come to wasatch in utah in 2006 of course i didn't know my dream back then was to just come to school and go home and be good in gaza i never expected that i would stay on and eventually become a u.s citizen so over the last 10 years whenever that question came to mind i always said to myself that i am stuck in paradise and I'm going to make it count. The United States have, have gave me so many opportunities, opportunities that I have imagined and dreamed about in Gaza. Many people here, Jewish, Muslim, uh, Christian, and now be even beyond Israel and Palestine, many people from so many other backgrounds impacted my life and made sure that I was able to continue in whatever uh, possible way they, they, they had available. And that really reminds me and brings me even closer to the, uh, to the world that I'm trying, hopefully, one day be able to give it and make a good impact within that world. And as a Palestinian-American, because you are a U.S. citizen now, what do you say to Israelis and Palestinians, especially diaspora living in the U.S., who are just so skeptical to reach out and to understand each other's perspective. Because I have met uh, people on both sides who just don't want to listen to the other side. And they are just so um, stuck in whatever their version of right is and whatever that right is. Yeah. Here, remember earlier I said I have to think 10 years in advance. This means if you're, this means if I'm 20, I'm already thinking of 30. So I... I, I try to think as, as they think. I'm already at their level, I'm at their experience, especially when I grew up and I realized so much of the adult world and the people who are outside especially uh, have, are thinking. At an event I was giving not long ago, I was at a you know, book event and uh, one woman came up and uh, out loud said that she wasn't going to have none of my book she wasn't going to get it. She wasn't going to read it. Uh, she's had enough. And she was saying that to, right to my face. And I said to her, I'm glad I read the book anyway. And she said, I'm glad you did too. So we move on. I talk. And that very same woman was listening. And at the end of the talk, I was asked to draw a ticket from a raffle. It's some honoring something at the club. And... I end up uh, drawing her ticket. Uh, she, and she wins a bunch of money. And I was so glad. I mean, we had that connection. She is, uh, you know, she's probably a mother, uh, even had maybe some uh, grandkids. Uh, she has family in Israel. She lives in Bethesda. Uh, she's from the United States. And she is telling me, 
I'm trying to give hope to people that it's it's fine. And I expect a lot more from the previous, uh, the the uh, the past generations, that generation especially, because I'm trying to do what in my mind and to in, my, in the mind of so many of my peers and my generation, the past one and the previous and the closer ones that they couldn't be able to do. And so it was just a, a beautiful moment that reminded me that the people who are on the outside have so much less to panic about uh, than the ones who are actually living in the uh, uh, actual uh, areas of occupation and uh, near the settlements and all of that. And that they are the ones who have so much to do and are able to accomplish so much more than they think. Then, uh, and, and lastly, see, just look at the results. Everyone and the skepticism and the, I don't want to talk and no more and all of that. Just look at the last 50 years, look at the last 10 years. Has that worked? Has that brought peace to anyone? Might have did that for some, but overall, every time and every year, we are going to go back to square one because we are not, uh, whatever we've been trying has not and will never work, seemingly. Yusuf, thank you so much for this inspiring and wonderful story. I hope people buy your book. I hope they they understand your message of peace. And I, and I can say this without any hesitation that what you've become, your dad has a huge role to play because he you saw him as a peace builder and as as a, as someone who believed in in peace and coexistence um but before i end my interview i want to share a quote from your book and here's what you said i think i have finally understood rumi when he wrote that there is no love greater than a love without a lover and you're referring to the 13th century persian poet um and then you go on to say, my commitment to peace has been such a love affair without a lover. And then your book ends with its own peace offering. And you write this letter to the anonymous shooter who disabled you. And here's what you say. Without your bullet, I might never have understood forgiveness. You were created by the same God who created me. You have the same humanity as I have. You are part of the same family as I am. I forgive you, my cousin. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Yusuf. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all the listeners for taking the time out to listen, give us feedback. And if you have any questions, you can always write to us. We have a GoFundMe. Details are on our website and social media. Until next time, when we bring you another inspiring story. In the meantime, stay connected.